Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. This week, I'm excited to be continuing our Christ-centered mentoring series, and I want to talk with you this week about what it means to lead a healthy, Christ-centered small group. So whether you lead a Bible study or you're mentoring a group of women, or maybe you lead a youth group, or maybe you're just curious as to the biblical principles that really make a Christ-centered, God-honoring small group, I pray that this episode encourages you. Before we jump in, I wanted to let you know that this is the last week to take advantage of our Christmas specials for the Set Apart magazine. You can become a subscriber between now and December 18th and receive a winter issue of Set Apart Magazine in the mail right away. So it's a great gift for your holiday season, whether you want to gift it to someone else or just enjoy it as just a resource that can point you closer to Jesus Christ in this time of the year. Or if you're looking for a great gift idea for a woman of any age, we have a four-issue bundle. So our four most recent issues of the Set Apart magazine at a discounted price. So that makes a great gift for women all the way from teens to older women because it's so focused on Jesus Christ and so beautifully designed. Just click the link in this podcast description if you'd like to learn more about those Christmas specials, or you can go to setapartgirl.com. Let's talk about leading a Christ-centered small group. I was privileged growing up to be a part of an amazing small group, and I didn't realize until I got married and got into full-time ministry how rare that group really was, because since that time, since the small group that I grew up in, I've been to a lot of other Bible study and small group settings that are very shallow, very self-focused, very really distracting rather than Christ honoring. And it's caused me to really think about what principles or what qualities make a truly Christ-honoring Bible study or small group setting. Small groups are a very popular thing in modern Christianity, and they can be a wonderful tool in the body of Christ. They can also be a detriment and a distraction if they're not built correctly. So four or five years ago, I did an episode on building a healthy small group. I would like to freshly present that material to you today in light of our series on mentoring, because so often if you have a heart for mentoring or discipleship, it will lead to a group setting, whether it's two or three women or it's a large Bible study that you're leading. That concept of gathering Christians together to pursue truth together is very healthy. It's just so easy to get off track and make it more of just a social gathering, a shallow gathering, or a gathering that is more of a distraction from where God really wants to take someone. So if you're leading a small group or thinking about leading one, I pray that these principles will be helpful. I've looked back at the small group that I grew up in, and I've identified some really key qualities that hallmarked it and made it so healthy. And ever since then, anytime Eric and I have been leading any kind of small group setting, we always go back to these principles because Eric was a part of this group as well. And in fact, this was one of the ways that we were getting to know each other in our pre-marriage relationship is that we were both a part of this very, very healthy, very Christ-centered small group. Both of our families were part of it too. So it was a great way to grow spiritually together without necessarily having to be off alone together to grow spiritually because we were always hearing the same truth and a part of that same atmosphere that lifted high the name of Jesus. So we look back on that time with just incredible memories because it was such a foundational part of my relationship with Christ. I look back and remember key moments, key teachings, key times 
times of worship in that small group that I still remember to this day. And that was many, many, many years ago. So my heart and vision would be to see more of those kinds of Christ honoring small groups raised up rather than just sort of the typical shallow ones that we see so commonly in the church today. The first quality of a healthy small group, I believe, is that it must be truth-based. We've been talking a lot about choosing truth over emotion, choosing truth over trends, and in a small group, the same principle applies. Now, at first glance, this may seem overly obvious. Of course, a small group that is a Christian small group is going to be truth-based. But sadly, there are a lot of small groups or Bible studies that don't really reverence truth. I've been involved with the Christian publishing industry, Eric and I have, for over 20 years. And sadly, we've come to realize that a lot of modern books and Bible studies are more based in trendy pop culture ideas, human thoughts and opinions, rather than the unchanging word of God. If the teaching in a study or a small group is built upon anything less than the solid rock of God's word, it will become at best nothing more than a spiritualized social gathering or at worst a breeding ground for deception and compromise. And I've seen that happen time and time again where someone gets really excited about a trendy new book that has hit the Christian market and they introduce it in a small group setting and it actually becomes very harmful and very dangerous because it's not based on the word of God. When Eric and I were first coming into the Christian publishing industry as new authors, we had the president of one of the largest Christian publishing organizations sit down with us and say, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat this for you. Even though we're a Christian organization, it's really all about money. And we're not going to publish anything we don't think is going to make us money. It's not really about the message. It's about money. And I just want to shoot straight with you on that. And that was kind of a a jarring wake-up call to realize that a lot of the books that are being fed into the Christian market today are very money-based. There was money at the motive of why that book was even published. So a lot of times it's not really being carefully looked at to say, does this really truly honor the word of God? Is this really completely in line with the truth of scripture? So that's where a lot of error has been creeping into the church because a lot of times publishers will look at what's popular in the secular world and try to replicate that in the Christian world rather than just being led by truth, being led by the spirit of God in what books are being published. And those funnel into the churches, they funnel into the small groups, they funnel into the Bible study world. That's not to say that all the Christian material out there is wrong or bad or off track, but there's a lot of error creeping in because it has become so much more an industry than a ministry. If you are leading a small group, I would encourage you to be watchful over whatever material you choose to introduce. Just because a book or a Bible study is popular in the Christian world does not necessarily mean that it is Christ-centered or truth-based. Whenever you are considering presenting someone else's material to your group, I would encourage you to weigh the message against the word of God before you just nod along with another Christian's idea. Stop and ask yourself some key questions. Does this message agree with the truth of scripture, not just on some points, but in its entirety? Do these thoughts and ideas align with God's nature and his character? If you are not sure, take the time to seek answers in the Bible before you start promoting it within your small group. He has promised in his word that he will give his wisdom to those who diligently seek after it. And if you're in doubt, then just focusing on scripture and maybe some classic historical Christian books that are tried and true and have been around for generations, that can be a very safe road to choose. 
And I've mentioned a lot of my favorite Christian books that are more of those classic tried and true books, things like My Utmost for His Highest, Streams in the Desert, and some of the amazing biographies that have been around for decades, like Corey Ten Boom's biography and God's Smuggler and just a lot of those classics, Hudson Taylor's story, George Mueller, Gladys Aylward, those are incredibly rich resources that we can look to when maybe you're looking around at modern books and saying, I'm not really sure if that's on track or not. If you are the participant in a small group, I would encourage you to cultivate a personal reverence for and study of the word of God so that you will be able to quickly discern when something erroneous is being taught or promoted. When I was a young Christian, I heard a lot of good sounding messages in small groups about the importance of building up my self-esteem. A lot of Christian leaders told me that that was the best way to be free from insecurity. I should focus on my own inner beauty and goodness and protect my sense of self and those ideas sounded very healthy and wise, so I didn't even question them. But a few years later, when I began digging into the Word of God and immersing myself in Scripture, I recognized that this idea of self-esteem was in conflict with Christ's message of self-denial. If you are ignorant of God's word, like I was at that time, you'll be a lot more prone to being deceived by what it says in Ephesians 4.14, the trickery of men. But when God's word is your lamp and your light, you will be so much quicker to recognize and renounce ideas that don't align with his pattern. When I look back to the amazing small group that I was a part of all those years ago, the, the small group where Eric and I were getting to know each other, I remember the strong emphasis on truth. Everyone who was in that group esteemed the word of God. The leader of the group focused most of the teaching on rich portions of scripture and excerpts from the Christian classics. There was built-in protection against error creeping in because the Bible was reverenced and cherished above cultural trends, above human wisdom. For a Christian group of any kind to thrive, we can't treat the Bible as moldable to human opinions and ideas. We need to find out what God says and then build our lives and our group upon that unshakable foundation. The second principle for a healthy small group is that it has to be built on prayer. Leonard Ravenhill, who's one of my favorite authors on revival and prayer, he used to say that he didn't really know a man until he had prayed with him. I believe there is nothing that will cultivate spiritual like-mindedness among a group of Christians like praying together will. Prayer accomplishes things that human words never can. Prayer can soften hearts. It can prepare souls for truth. It can replace misunderstanding and discord with love and unity. True prayer brings spiritual fire to a group of believers who might otherwise just be passive. So it's important that we don't just talk about praying, but we really pray together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Whether you're a mom leading a Bible study for women, or you're someone ministering to teen girls in a group setting, or you're working with Christian leaders in a small group setting, facilitate corporate prayer every time you gather. And lay a foundation ahead of time by praying diligently all week long for every single person that you'll be ministering to in that small group gathering. If you're a participant in a small group, spend time personally praying for the others in your group and especially the leaders of the group. Those who are in any kind of ministry, as we've been talking about through this series, 
often will face spiritual attack and battles with discouragement. And I can definitely speak from personal experience on that. So even if you're not the one leading the small group, your prayers can make an impact on those who are leading and it can help strengthen them spiritually for the work that God's calling them to do in leading the small group. I believe that one of the key reasons that the small group I used to be in was so effective and so life-giving is because we spent so much time praying for each other corporately and individually. Corey Ten Boom says, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? The answer to that question can determine failure or success for our spiritual lives and for a small group. Another important quality for a healthy small group is that it needs to be all about Jesus. You probably remember me talking about Amy Carmichael and how her ministry began when she was reaching out to needy factory girls in Ireland. They were called shawlies because they didn't have money to buy hats, so they wore shawls over their head. And this was the group of ladies that Amy Carmichael was burdened for. There were wealthy, fashionable Christians in the community that heard about the work that she was doing and they wanted to get involved. So as she was building a facility for these these factory girls to gather and they, they offered their time and their services. But she sensed that many of them wanted to be involved in that work for the wrong reasons. So she started to turn away people who she knew only wanted to impress other people with their good deeds or they wanted to gain an ego boost by feeling like they were doing something that was a worthy cause. Amy decided she only wanted to partner with people who cared more about the glory of Jesus Christ than their own personal benefit. I believe that same principle is so critical for any Christ-centered ministry, whether it's a small group or any other kind of ministry. Our involvement, whether we are a leader or a participant in something, has to be for the glory of Jesus and not just for our own personal benefit. It's really easy to come into a small group meeting or a church or a Bible study and ask the question, what am I going to get out of this? When we should be asking What is God going to get out of this? Our primary purpose for gathering with other believers is to lift high the name of Jesus. In Christian meetings today, it's a very modern mentality, but we often believe that it is our right to be entertained and catered to and applauded, and it's all about us and what we want. Pretty soon, then our Christian gatherings become all about us rather than all about Jesus. All those years ago in that healthy small group that I was a part of, there was a unified focus on Christ. He was the reason we were there, and he was always given first place. No one tried to take center stage or impress others with their cleverness, their being all profound in what they would say. Jesus was the guest of honor, and we sought to glorify him with our worship, our prayers, and our conversation. Even the songs we chose for worship were purposeful. We were careful not to choose songs that were just all about me, me, me. We wanted to choose songs that were about his worthiness, his holiness, and his goodness. And even now, sometimes when I lead worship, I revert back to those songs that we sang all those years ago in that small group, even though they're outdated because they were so focused on Jesus. Back then, I think I took it for granted that this was the norm for most Christian gatherings. But now I realize after I've been in so many churches and so many small groups over the years, it is such a gift to find a group of believers who really make their focus Jesus Christ. If you are leading a small group, I would encourage you to ask God to continually purify your motives for leading. Are you doing this for recognition, for applause? Do you want to draw attention to your own wit or your own abilities? Is your primary aim to point eyes to Jesus and get out of the way so that he might be clearly seen? 
John the Baptist set an amazing example when he talks about being the friend of the bridegroom. And that's something we've covered many times in this podcast, but it it just stands to reason that we need to constantly go back to this principle when we're in any kind of ministry. Our joy is full when others see the bridegroom. We decrease so that he might increase. Look for ways that you can cultivate a focus on Christ during the gathering. So Christ-focused worship, Christ-focused conversation, and Christ-focused prayer. There is no such thing as a Christian gathering that is too focused on Jesus Christ. You can't go wrong when he is your focus. If you're participating in a small group, one of the ways you can help keep the focus on Christ is by approaching gatherings with an unselfish attitude. So again, instead of asking, what can I get? Ask a different question. What can I give? When you are constantly looking for ways to point others to Christ and not yourself, you'll honor him and keep him in the position of guest of honor. As we talked about in the last episode, that scripture where Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Amy Carmichael's motto was from Colossians 10 31 to give Jesus preeminence, to give him the first place in everything. So no matter if your small group is studying a practical issue, so like marriage or parenting or purity, or even things like money management, our ultimate purpose in whatever we study should be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Another quality of a healthy small group is that it should be outward focused. I have been at countless Christian gatherings that focus only on our issues, our struggles, and our needs. And of course, God certainly cares about providing answers to our issues and struggles and needs. He doesn't stop there. He makes us strong so that we can give that strength to others. Freely you have received, Jesus says, now freely give. We are the body of Christ, meaning that we are his hands and his feet upon this earth. So if we are not doing the work of building his kingdom, selflessly serving, witnessing, building his kingdom and rescuing souls, then who is? One of the things that I really appreciated about that former small group I was in was the outward focus that was cultivated there. The leaders of the group organized opportunities for us to serve, to go to homeless shelters and make meals for refugees and visit local prisons and hospitals, go on short-term missions trips and evangelism outreaches. And a lot of the families that were there, a part of that group became involved in foster children or adoption, and others in the group supported them with prayer and practical help. And those experiences helped teach me that the purpose for gathering wasn't just to enjoy the good news for myself, but to share it with others in need. Even if you're in a small group or leading a small group that isn't able to go on missions trips or volunteer at homeless shelters for various reasons, you can still cultivate an outward-focused attitude among those who attend. I've seen youth groups or other small groups who collectively sponsor children and other groups who have chosen a persecuted country to pray for or adopt an overseas orphanage and send supplies or pray for them. So I would encourage you to pray for specific ways that your small group can turn outward, can be Christ's hands and his feet to this lost and dying world. If you are a group leader, you can also cultivate an attitude of outward living in your exhortations and your conversations. So encourage those who are in your group to look for ways that they can begin to serve people that they encounter on a daily basis. If it's a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, encourage them to share their faith with non-believers. Allow them to share what they're learning in this area in the small group setting about living an outward focused life because that will spark enthusiasm in others that are hearing those stories. 
Turning outward is an amazing way to cultivate unity and purpose in any group of believers. An outward focus group is a happy and thriving group because there is such great joy in knowing that we are functioning as Christ intended his body to function. Here are some final thoughts that I want to share with you about a healthy small group. For many of us, attending Christian small groups or gatherings is more of a duty than a joyful privilege. And yet there's something so powerful about the gathering together of believers when we are gathered for the glory of God. I sometimes think about the Christians overseas who literally need to risk their lives in order to meet together with other believers. That reality should help remind us that it is truly a precious gift to gather together in his name and exhort one another in our common faith, as it says in Hebrews 3.13. Let's never take that privilege for granted. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into building a Christ-centered life, visit us at setapartgirl.com and check out the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.